This is Series 3 of Brave New Girl Podcast, and I'm Lou Hamilton, author and illustrator of Brave New Girl, How to Be Fearless, and I welcome you to the stories of real-life Brave New Girls who are creatives, founders, campaigners, health practitioners, and thought leaders who are making a positive impact in the world. This week's guest is Hannah Power, a personal branding specialist supporting purpose-driven entrepreneurs and experts to become powerful online leaders. Hannah launched her business, Powerful Leaders, in 2018 and more recently published her book, The Power of You. From personal trauma, Hannah has risen to be a powerful leader herself. Welcome, Hannah, to Brave New Girl Podcast. Hi, Hannah. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm really good. I'm very excited to, to be talking to you because I've been working through your book this week and it's been transformative. Yeah, really exciting. So uh, thank you so much for, for oh, that. I'm so glad. It's so nice when, you know, usually someone gets your book, they might read the first chapter, but they definitely don't always do the exercises. So I'm thrilled that you are yeah. doing those um, and that they're helpful. That's great. Yeah. And I'm actually using the book as a workbook so I'm actually writing in it so it's Mm -hmm. all there so I can kind of flick back through and remind myself and pick up key things in the book so really really good really useful yeah so I wonder here we are still talking about the pandemic um all these months on so many people have been affected by it some good ways uh some bad ways I wonder from your perspective you know as people are kind of either sinking or swimming, how have you seen people rise and grasp leadership mm-hmm. at the helm of what seems to be sort of a economic, social, mental health disaster? Sorry to start on such a kind of low note. Good. No, I, yeah, let's start with a bang. Oh, I think it's been a crazy journey, hasn't it? I mean, I think if we'd known it was going to still be going on now, I can't imagine where all our heads would have been at. I remember my dad saying to me, in March. I said, Dad, how long is it going to last? And he said, oh, I think it might last till June. And I was furious at him. And I was like, Dad, you're so negative. Like, you can't say that. Like, the, the God, I mean, it's changed so much over the past 18 months. I think in terms of, I guess, what I've seen is I work in the world of helping people to build their brands and businesses online, right? So I do the thing that everybody then suddenly was like, oh, actually, I need to do that thing now. Um, that thing that everyone pushed down the to-do list, you know, oh, it's not a high priority. I'll look at that in the future. One day I get my referrals and I do this uh, to suddenly everyone going, oh, my God, I wish I'd done this ages ago. I kind of split people into two camps, roughly. And I think the same people have the same mindset for everything that they have for one thing. So let me explain what I mean. So when it comes to personal branding and it comes to leading online and pivoting and sort of these things, you've got two camps. You've got the because I get to's and the because I have to's. So the because I get to's are the ones in the growth mindset who go, right, these things happen. I've handled worse. I'm going to go and learn. I'm going to go on to sign up to webinars and pay coaches and read books. I'm just going to get it done and I'm going to focus on the positives. I wanted to do this stuff eventually anyway. I love the fact I don't have to commute. I love the fact I can do this now or whatever, and I'm just going to grab it. And then you get the because I have to's that, oh, this is so unfair. I hate social media. I hate marketing. I don't want to do this. I just want to work with my clients and it's not for me and it's not me and I'm not self-promotional. And you get those two camps, right? And I obviously 
you can guess which one has been more successful over the past 18 months, right? The ones that have just kind of grabbed it and got on with it. And I don't think those people have always been super positive. I definitely haven't been super positive the entire time. There've been moments where I've gone, oh my God, this is really annoying. Um, Get me out of the house. I'm very much like an extroverted person. So being in my house all the time has not been easy. But I think that, you know, in terms of the people that I've interacted with, compared to a large proportion of the global population, we are extremely fortunate. So I have focused on that and done, and I just think focus on what we have got, not what we haven't. Focus on the fact that we all have access to technology so we can pivot and build our businesses online, that we have access to knowledge. So all of these things, I mean, if this had happened 100 years ago, I mean, what on earth would have happened? Even 10 years ago, it would have been completely different. So I think the main thing I've noticed, I guess, is just seeing those two mindsets rise up more. So they were always maybe underlying with people, but I think I've seen because I have tos get more frustrated and the because I get tos be more successful and push themselves and thrive. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think that's probably the main thing that I have seen. I've seen some because I have tos move to because I get tos and I've seen some because I get tos move to some because I have tos. Um, But it all comes down to self-awareness and personal responsibility and no one said life was going to be easy. Business is never, no one said business was going to be easy. Everyone's in the same situation. I think that was something which I reminded a lot of people of when they would come on calls with me. And, you know, most people are in the same position and you can use it as a great opportunity to push yourself and learn new things. And I think we've seen some incredible businesses and incredible brands come out of the pandemic. I think people have been incredibly resilient and I can see exactly what you're saying about the two camps and mm. and how some have moved across from from one to the other and maybe not even permanently maybe it's been kind of backwards and forwards and mm. and and as we sort of build our resilience we we learn that the camp where we get to do these things is kind of actually a, a more inspiring place to be and mm. so then we realize actually, if I can stay in this camp, I feel like I can grow and I can do things and I mm. can move forward. And and I'm less sort of drowned out by mm. my own internal feelings and the kind of the the stress and the negativity that, that surrounds us. So, mm. yeah, I think that that's a really interesting point. I, I wonder whether this resilience has been something that you've had from a, a young age. I know that you were sort of born into an entrepreneurial family and you know you saw it wasn't plain sailing and and you saw how your family were your parents were incredibly resilient and adaptable so as a child how did you view all of this gosh what a great question yeah I guess resilience is is a muscle that you exercise I don't think anybody's born with resilience um I think bad things happen, we get through them, and then we get a little bit better at handling when bad things happen. Yeah, as you mentioned, I I was extremely fortunate to be born into a very, you know, very loving family. And, you know, we've had an incredible journey, but there has been from a from a business and kind of financial perspective, there has been some really big challenges. I think that mom and dad had a massive mission and vision for what they wanted to create. They were very much pioneers. I think it's only really this year that people have started to say the messages that I've been listening to since I was six years old. And that was tough for them, you know, that to be to be so strongly believing in a message and so wanting to help people and make the online world a place that people felt connected and supported and loved and that they were genuinely friends with people. 
world that was so wanting it to become a broadcasting place of falseness and all of those kinds of things. So in terms of, I guess, resilience, I think I I watched my parents go through some real challenges and in the moment be knocked down and then just get back up and just keep getting knocked down and just keep getting back up. And because of the nature of what they did and the nature of the fact that they're massive networkers and they know loads of people, I was exposed to a huge amount of different people that were building businesses, some massive successfully. You know, we know some hugely successful people and then some who it just didn't work out for. And I think that what I learned, I guess, through that is that the only person who's really in charge of what happens to you in your life is yourself. So you can blame external factors and you can say, oh, the industry changed or COVID hit or whatever. But if you don't take personal responsibility and have the self-awareness of where you have your own strengths, but also your own weaknesses, your own things that you're not good at, your own kind of uh, trigger points and all of those kinds of things, you're going to struggle. So I think I learned that I had to really, I think I learned young to identify what I was good at, what I wasn't good at, what made me feel great and in my flow and what kind of pushed me away from that into my kind of lower self and to focus on building a business that puts me in my highest place as often as possible. And then when think bad things happen, get knocked down, be annoyed, be pissed off, and then just come back, pivot and keep going. And I think that that's how business has always had to be. It's just sped up faster now. Um, so yeah, I think it comes, yeah, self-awareness and personal responsibility, I guess, are the two main things that I learned when I was young. And I think it's a journey. I think I've definitely watched my parents go on that journey and have they've experienced so many different challenges from financial challenges to huge amount of trolls and online abuse to, you know, so many, you know, to, to illness. And I think the one thing that they've always done is get going, get back up, not blame externally and just go, well, these things happen. You've got to keep going and find things that make you happy in the moments where life's bad. Life is never all bad or all good. I think that's really important. I think sometimes we, we think that it's going to be all when I get there, it'll be all good. Or if that happens, it's going to be all bad. But realistically, like when things are really awful, you still find things to laugh at. And I think that's what mom and dad taught me was that um, no matter how bad things were, we would always find things to, to laugh about and experience joy with as a family. So as a little girl, when you saw the impact of something bad happening, or when you saw the impact of them getting up again, which, which had more effect on you which kind of landed more strongly with you the getting up or the the fails it must have been the getting up because I never really worried I knew that there were challenges I I guess I was young I was the oldest so I was I think you're a little bit more exposed to what's going on with your parents when you're the oldest plus I took a massive interest I was fascinated by business from a very young age I I guess you, you I probably got that because that's what my parents did but you know I would be on the plane with my dad at like six seven years old and he'd be teaching me about the difference between like markup, margin and profit. You know, that's what I was interested in. So I guess what impacted me more was that they just didn't stop. They just wouldn't stop. You know, things would happen and they would just keep going. They didn't, I don't think they saw a choice to quit. I I think I'm really not pro this word failure. I think it's a really, really bad term. I think it's completely subjective, completely subjective. My definition of failure would be doing a job that doesn't fulfill me, doesn't have a positive impact on the world and doesn't help people every single day. Somebody else's definition of failure is not making a million pounds. Do you see what I mean? 
So that means straight away the definition is completely different, which means that my definition of success is different. So I think failure, I don't think there's ever anything that I would look at mom and dad and go, oh, they failed, or they would look at something and go, oh, they failed. They would say, that worked, we evolved. You know, that wasn't meant to happen. We learned what we did. We achieved what we did. We're still alive. We didn't fail. I just don't think that everything is as linear and as black and white as that was a failure and that was a success because it comes down to what matters to you. Um, if you're living a life that you make loads of money, but you're not happy, you know, we see that all the time with people that are successful, you know, they've got fast cars and flash houses and money in the bank, but they're massively unfulfilled and they're, you know, doing whatever they do or drinking or whatever all these things are that you constantly hear. To me, that's not a definition of success. To me, that would be failure. So it's completely subjective. Yeah, I agree. I, I think fail is a it's a strange word. You know, if people ask me about my failures, I, I can't, it's not that I can't think of them. It's more that I think of brick walls and slam doors and moments when you've had to go, okay, so as you say, well, that didn't work. So what now? What do I do now? Mm. So it is about just kind of, okay, so it's like, oh, well, that's not work. It's like a little mouse in a, in a maze, isn't it? It's just like, mm. oh, there's a, there's a wall. So I'll go back and try another route. And so it's a sort of constantly sort of, mm. you know, sometimes you get a, a slightly longer run at it. <laughs> mm. I think when I think about times that I failed, I would probably think that if I reflect back on, for example, this year, if I think back to some of the things that have happened, um, so I've had quite a challenging few months um, in the business. And I would say the times I think I would have failed are the times where I've not stayed true to myself. So either I've let somebody else's words impact me and then I've like, gone back in not the best way possible so um or I've or I've chosen fear instead of love you know and faith and truth over something so I say those are the times that I have failed but then I've learned from them and I'm less likely to do them again so I just don't really see it as a failure I yeah. just I just think we make it this whole big thing and there's all these inspirational quotes from all of these entrepreneurs it's like oh you've got to fail to learn and I just think it just sets everyone up they're almost entrepreneurs I think are waiting for their time to fail they're waiting for their Steve Jobs moment where everything falls apart they're waiting to fail and that's terrifying well yeah or they're dreading the failure and then you're in it and you're like but obviously it's kind of not a failure because it kind of had to go this way for it to go that way so yeah. I just I just think this word is, is so risky and I think it means different things to different people as all language does I think the more you learn the more you realize that there's just nothing that's a one-size-fits-all solution it's all about the way you see the world and the belief systems and the stories that you tell yourself yeah I agree and so when you left home you were a bit of a rebel, weren't you? And and didn't go into the entrepreneurial world. You kind of went into corporate. So was that sort of intentional? Yeah, I mean, I would say like, I was always told, you know, we were so entrepreneurial, Hannah, and, you know, by, you know, people, and you're going to be like your parents. And um, I obviously like really admired my parents, but, you know, compared to the, what I'd seen of my friends' parents and stuff, like, you know, they'd had a huge, like, big ups and big downs. And I just thought I'm going to do something a bit more stable. So it wasn't, you know, mom and dad, you know, they were quite pro it, you know, they thought that's great. Go and go and do that. I really wanted to have a, a professional skill. I didn't want to be like a business person or a entrepreneur. So I always thought I wanted something that I could like fall back on. And I was quite academic. You know, I was quite good at school. I've got quite a naturally, I guess, like sharp brain. So it kind of made sense to go down that route and to study. And that was what I wanted to do. I hated university, if I'm honest, like it just none of it was for me. I didn't like the university I went to. Um, it, it just all didn't really add up. I also just, the whole system is so archaic. I'm not very um, 
good at things that aren't efficient and make sense. I just, I really struggle to do something if I just think it could be like automated or improved in some sort of way. I just hate wasting my time. And I just think the university system just sums that up so much. And it's so illogical. And I did a law degree, which couldn't be a more archaic degree to do. It couldn't be more opposite to really the right thing to do. And then, yeah, went down the corporate path. I mean, I think Accenture is a fantastic company to work for. I learned so much and you have a lot of freedom. You know, you kind of are, it is kind of feel like you're self-employed in an army of, but you are employed in an army of self-employed people because you kind of work on projects and you work with different people and you build your network and you build your brand internally. So um, it was a great company to work for. It just, yeah, wasn't for me forever. And so then what life happens, doesn't it? And you had some pretty sort of traumatic things happen to you. Yeah. And with all the guests that I, that I, speak to on this show there's always a a moment my my uncle calls it you know we all have a a moment when our pie crust breaks and it is a a time to kind of re reset and rethink and Mm. and just reassess everything and so what was that for you yeah so I would say there was probably two moments initially um I'd say my first real experience of a real I guess pie crust breaking was when my cousin died um, she was 29 and um, I know some people aren't that close with their cousins but in my family it's kind of like your siblings are like your twins and then your cousins are like your siblings and she died at 29 two months after a cancer diagnosis and that changed my life for so many different reasons I think it just made me realize that you can die I you know I'd known people that had died but they'd predominantly been you know older I think that changed the way that I looked at things and made me want to kind of do more with my life than just waste time and complain about things and uh to start to take a little bit more personal responsibility for my life like small things it was devastating to get through that death and you know but it changed me for the better you know things like you know I would eat better and exercise more and just things like that uh and then so I moved to London and then I still got my job at Accenture and then six months into it I then went um on holiday to visit some friends in uh Morzine in France to go skiing they were doing a ski season And when I was over there, I was walking back from a night out um, on my own. Um, It was sort of a small town, Morzine. Everyone kind of knows everyone. And I was kidnapped and raped on the way back from the night. Um, I was 23. And, you know, this was something which I had read in, you know, psychological thrillers or seen on films, but wasn't something I thought would ever happen to someone like me, as everybody says, don't they? And I spent about 20 I think it was about 20 minutes I don't really know how long all of these things were but in the car thinking um these guys are going to kill me you know this is the end of my life I'm 23 um I'm going to be one of those I've got a very visual mind so I'm going to be one of those dead bodies on those metal tables that somebody has to identify and my mom's going to have to look at that and go yeah that's my daughter and I'm gonna that's the end of my life that's the end of my story and it's what have I done and what have I wasted my time on? And I think, you know, we all have moments of these, you know, well, not everybody does actually, not everybody has these moments of clarity, but those that do have them at different times in their life. Sometimes they're 18, sometimes they're 55, but it was one of those moments where I just thought, you know, God, there must, you know, there, there, there must be more to life. I actually in the car actually had the thoughts, one of the strongest emotions I can remember of thinking, oh my God, honey, you've wasted so much time on such pointless shit. And excuse my language. And um, after that, when I, I then after coming, I did survive that. They after the rape, they dropped me back. Um, I'd say dropped me back. They dropped me off, and I walked. Um, 
and eventually was found and went through that whole process. And for the first six months, I was in shock, essentially. I think I was filled with gratitude that I was alive. I had been so convinced I was going to die that I felt so like I was in this weird, almost euphoric state that the the sky was so blue and the trees were so green and you know, my mom was so lovely and, you know, all of that stuff. And then I, then I got hit with PTSD and, um, that's when I started to really go into a dark place of two and a half years of massive alcohol abuse, you know, drinking too much alcohol and a massive struggle with what's wrong with this world. You know, I always know that there's stuff that's wrong with the world, right? You know that there's evil in the world, but until you actually see the darkness in the world in front of you, I think it's easy to kind of ignore it and, you know, look, think it's for the news and not feel that in your own life. And then I just saw this darkness and I just, you can't unsee it. And then you have to find a way to live amongst it. And you have to find a way to get back to some sort of belief in the light and in the good. And I went on that, on that journey. And then that's when I quit my job and moved over to Bali and just went on this kind of it wasn't as glamorous as Eat, Pray, Love, right? I think everyone kind of, you moved to Bali to find yourself. I went over there because I really needed space and peace to be by myself. And I really needed to just sort myself out. And I just, I always knew that I didn't want to be defined by what had happened to me. I always knew that I wanted to live a life that that helped people, which wasn't based on fear, that that meant that, that meant more, that, that had something to it. But um, I wasn't doing all of those things. So I thought I've got to go somewhere where people are doing that. And I knew that a lot of people in Bali had kind of gone through events in their lives and all of these things and went over there and, you know, worked through some stuff. And you also made a decision to talk about it openly yeah. to, in order to help other people who mm. have been through a similar thing. Mm. How did that go for you? Because I guess what you're doing when you're talking about it is you're in a way reliving it. And I'm sorry that I've sort of brought it up again for today. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not. Is that something that you felt was really important to do for Mm. a time? Or is Mm. it something that is ongoing? So I didn't talk about it. I said, I always said to mum, I'm going to talk about this topic when I'm healed from it. Because you know, it's a secret crime, right? Even the word rape makes everybody feel uncomfortable, right? Nobody wants to hear the word rape. It, everyone flinches unless it's in some edict joke on, you know, in a stand-up bar in um, Covent Garden. Nobody wants to hear that word, and nobody wants to talk about it. And of course, you don't, right? Who wants to talk about like sex with their dad? You know, it's such a difficult topic to talk about. But the nature of it being a secret, of course, then makes you feel like it's your fault because secrets—we're taught secrets are bad. So there's so much misconnection between the whole thing and. When I actually learned about how many people are sexually, how many women and men are sexually assaulted and how many people I knew had been raped, because once I, you know, my family found out, I found out that relatives of mine had been raped that I didn't know about and um, a, a godmother of mine and and um, my one of my best friends, his girlfriend, you know, people didn't know, people weren't talking about it. And I just thought like, and they were really suffering in silence. And there's a lot of, you know, alcohol abuse and suicide, all of these things, because this is such a secret crime. And if it wasn't so secret, you know, people wouldn't struggle so much, but also maybe it would happen less, you know, that the conviction rates are really low. And, and I just kind of thought when I'm through this, because I always knew I would be through it, I want to talk about this in some way just to shed some light and and maybe somebody who's going through it. I really... I think when you're struggling, it's really nice to have people to follow and be inspired by and learn from and, and not feel alone. You know, I think that's such a big thing that we've seen over the past 18 months is 
we struggle when we're alone. You know, the suicide rates are high and people are, you know, are alone or mental health, they're alone. You know, I just thought maybe this is my thing that I can help people not be alone in. And the more that I can share and the more open that I can be, the less um, of a taboo it will be in my life. And even if I only impact, you know, five people around me and they impact five people, it's better than nothing. And I knew that I wouldn't talk about it until I felt that I was completely healed from it, which I am. I did a lot of work on myself. And then I had a very transformational experience when I was over in Bali. No, I do plan to make it my, I don't know, my life's apart. You know, I've got these kind of two missions. I've got this kind of mission that I have with, so you start a movement with your message, which is obviously what I do with the personal branding and working with people to discover their core message and their potential and build a brand around that and, you know, bring that message to the world. But my other side of that is what is I really want to be able to support people that have been raped or through some sort of massive adversity that threatens every fiber of your identity and help them to feel that it's not the end and actually it can be the making of you because I wouldn't take back what happened to me. It was probably one of the most experiences that I've been through um, in terms of making me the person that I am now. So when you went to, to Bali, you knew that you were going there to, to heal and kind of recoup. And what was the discovery in yourself that you found there? Yeah, so I, I thought that I would, I'd been to Bali quite a few times and I kind of thought, um, I was really drinking a lot before I went over there. But I kind of was like, well, I'm going to Bali and then I'll just be fixed in Bali. And um, it didn't really work because now you just live in a holiday destination where you don't have any friends or family around to, to hide your drinking from. So I actually, for the first six months, I really just got worse, I think. And it resulted in me having a really bad accident, spending a week in hospital. And um, I've got a nice big scar on my shoulder to remind me. And that's actually the last time I, I ever drunk. After that, when I stopped drinking and I I kind of thought, okay, Hannah, you've got to get through this. I went into, I had quite a, what I really describe as like an existential crisis um, where I just just got so caught up in this sort of nihilistic place of what is what is the point? What is the meaning of life? Like, why do we bother? It makes no sense. Everyone's everyone's evil and um, life's awful. And I think I just went really low. I watched, this is really weird of me, but I watched loads of films about World War II because I just think it's one of like the, you know, the biggest atrocities that's ever happened. And I just couldn't get my head around like, why humans doing this to other humans? Like, why do we do this to each other? It makes no sense to me. And I just went to that such low point. I think you go so far into the dark, eventually you you find the light. And that's, I started to refine the light and the good in people and um realize that you know people do bad things not because they're bad people but because they've got darkness inside of them and they've had things that happened to them and got to the point where I you know I forgave the men that the, the man that raped me and um actually really and still do really wish him well I mean I, I can't imagine what a life you have to lead to be able to do that to somebody who's screaming in front of you and kicking you and punching you um so, and then that where it culminated, and I don't, you know, you talk, I always think you put people off when you talk about too much woo-woo stuff, but in Bali, they have these, um, they're called the pyramids of chi. And it's like pyramids and you go to these like sound baths in them. And I didn't know a lot about sound um, and vibrational frequency and all of those things. I've since studied it and the physics of sound and the physics of quantum physics and all of these neuroscience, all of these things that basically just put science behind spirituality and I had this experience of the, in these pyramids. I've never had an experience like this. I didn't believe in any of this stuff. I used to take the piss out of people that believed in this stuff when I was in Bali. The, what I used to call the, all the yoga people who meditate. I, and I was there with my martini. And, you know, I just thought, you know, not into that. But I went to this, this thing. 
And I had this really crazy out-of-body experience where my, essentially, the three parts of me that had been split apart on this day when when it had happened on uh, the 18th of March, there was the girl who sort of died, there was the girl in the car, and then there had been this presence that I'd felt in the car at the time, which I now know now was my sort of higher self looking after myself and kind of saying, everything will be okay. And I had this experience in the pyramids of these three coming back together and feeling completely free from it. And that was, uh, that would have been January, 2019. And I've never felt any pain since. And I've spoken about it publicly. I've, I shared my story publicly with a radio station nearby and that then got picked up by the national news. And that then got picked up by loads of national newspapers. And I've had people say horrible things about me in daily mail comments and all of these various things. And it doesn't affect me because, you know, when you're healed, those things don't affect you. And I, because of it, I've been able to support loads of different people with, with rape or with adversity or any challenges that they've struggled with. And to me, I think that's what life's all about, right? I think it's just, I do genuinely think it's just about relieving some pain and putting some joy or some light into someone's life. So you started to feel your way back into the world of sort of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and and that started in in Bali and you sort of mm. in your book you kind of outline the things that you need to have in place to know that a business is a good one and so you had two out of three but then there was one that didn't quite match because you were aiming to help digital nomads mm-hmm. and the third kind of pillar was make sure that they've got enough money to to pay for your services yeah and obviously with digital nomads that you know that's it that's not you know the position they're in 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 life they're, yeah. they're sort of freewheeling in in some way or other and so how did you then go from from that to then thinking about a business where you could help other people have an impact and also sustain a living yourself through doing that yeah, so I guess the kind of business is so many different types of businesses, aren't there? I'm always really conscious when people say like, you know, oh, Hannah, you're good at business. And I'm like, I'm not good at all business. Do you know what I mean? I think we all have our business models that we're good at. I really am like, I'm very, I'm actually very obsessed with business modeling. I find it fascinating how businesses make money and how you can build a business model that works for you. So for some people, that's a product-based business. For some people, that's an agency. For some people, that's software. For some people, that's whatever. Um, for me, the kind of businesses that I that I was really interested in and kind of um, the business that I help people to build now are ones around their own expertise and their own experience. You know, there are these, this movement of people, right, online, you'll see them everywhere. You know, people who have a, a personal brand, essentially a skill, they might be, um, they might be a coach, they might be a consultant, a hypnotherapist, uh, you know, an ex-entrepreneur, whatever it is. And they have they've packaged up their skills and their knowledge, and then they're able to support people um, as a solopreneur in some way. And I guess that's the world that I grew up in, right? That was the the small business network that mum and dad built. That was the world that I knew, and that was the world that you know. What I love about that world is it's it's fluid, it's lean, everything's on your term, it's full of freedom, it's full of pushing yourself to your potential. Um, and it's all shaped around you. There's no rules. There's no, you don't have to be a certain way. If you want to swear, swear. Do you know what I mean? If you want to talk about something crazy, you can, because it's all you. And I think that that concept really excited me, that you build a business around who you are. You know, so if you want to work 80 hours a week, work 80 hours a week. If you want to work 20, work 20. And I just think, you know, we're moving towards this space of massive freedom and autonomy. And that's what these businesses enable people to have, is to look at 
their skills, look at what they've done, and then build a business and brand around that. So I knew it was possible because I'd seen people do it. I'd also seen a lot of people fail at it um, because it's a very different type of business model. You see people that are hugely successful in other types of business models who can't do it on their own in this kind of more like solopreneur, personal brand way. But also the people that were, that were succeeding tended to be very good at marketing and very good at social media. Whereas I knew that there were a group of people who were very good at what they did, highly intelligent, highly driven to help people, very passionate about what they did, very skilled, great stories. But there was no sort of process to get from here to here. So I kind of thought, well, I'll work out that process. I'll apply it to myself. And then I'll teach people and help people to apply that process for themselves. Um, And that's kind of what I did. And there's, you know, that's what I do now. It's what I've spent the last three years doing. And it's been amazing working with some people. I was with a client yesterday and we had these incredible transformational breakthrough where we worked out what her niche was going to be and what her message really was. Also massively challenging because not everybody has the mindset to get their head around this way of working. That's what I love the most about all of this stuff is when you build a proper personal brand-based business or a proper business, um, it's not actually about you. It's about the audience you serve. And this is where people get personal branding so wrong. They're like, but I'm not that promotional. And I'm like, well, yeah, no one cares about you. They care about what you know and how you can help them, right? That's the point. Um, And you identify this target audience of people who need to learn what you have to teach them or to support them with or guide them through or whatever. And it might be losing weight. It might be I saw on Instagram yesterday, there's a whole, you can, there's a divorce coach who can help you get through divorce. Um, You know, you can, there's people who teach people how to uh, train dogs, right? There's personal brands I follow to teach me how to um, make my puppy nice and not hectic. Um, And it comes down to identifying who that audience is and identifying that that audience is the right one for you so that they've got the, you know, the motive, they want to work with you, a pain point that they need to solve. And then they've got the means to be able to do that. Um, I think that's what I've got in there. Opportunity, motive, means. Yeah, that's off a a line of duty, I think, or one of those shows. And yeah, that's what I work with people to do. So to shape shape that business model around themselves. And it's incredible when you get it right. And I think my first big client that I did in terms of the biggest win has been working with my own mum. And, you know, when we started working together, um, I didn't really know how to do all of this stuff. And mum was pretty burnt out from business life had knocked her around quite a lot and I just said look mom I'm going to help you to you know build the brand and the business that is Penny and we're going to do this together and you know she's the perfect client because she's really hard working and really genuinely cares and that was kind of where it all started I guess mom and me were my dummy clients and then when it started to work I you know I knew I could do it for other people. Yeah I can imagine she was the most awesome client to have. <laughs> yeah it's, you have to have a good balance because we have to have a mother-daughter and then a client relationship so on the weekends you know we're very much like don't talk about work and I have two phones and I have like my work phone and my personal phone so mom knows to message this one if she wants to talk about work and this one if she wants to talk about family or whatever so you have to put boundaries in and and it is important otherwise you find yourself always talking about work and my family can be a bit risky to do that um, because we all kind of have similar kind of passions and things like that but um, but yeah so then the people that you're helping are entrepreneurs or solopreneurs mm-hmm. um, looking at their personal brand. But you talk about, and the name of your business is Powerful Leaders. Yeah. So what's the difference between being an entrepreneur and being a leader? 
in yeah. that space? Yeah. So Powerful Leaders is, um, that's my agency. So after I'd done the coaching for a year and a half, after COVID hit, more and more people needed the services. So I built an agency around supporting people. Um, I guess what I refer to as a powerful leader, or often I use the term change maker, is essentially somebody who has a message that they want to share and is building a business around that. So it's not just a personal brand for the sake of having a personal brand or a personal brand as a representative of a business. It's identifying what their true like purpose is, although I, I'm I'm lenient around that word because I think like it's a bit overused, but you know, what their message really is that they really, really care about and then building a business and brand around that and sharing that message with the world. That's kind of what's the difference between being like an entrepreneur and just having a personal brand as a representative of a company. So, you know, if we use Elon Musk as an example, right, someone everyone knows, Elon Musk's personal brand is obviously like to be the CEO of Tesla. But let's say he wanted to come become a what I call a powerful leader. He would then, let's say he launched a school in how to become an entrepreneur. So he's packaged up his knowledge and he's turned that into an asset that people can then learn from. And that's the difference between an entrepreneur and what I call a powerful leader. Mm. See the difference? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I've realized I actually, you know, you're always on a journey. I I don't think this, I communicate this clearly enough when I, when I work with people, I don't only work with people to, to, to productize and business, business size their knowledge. I do also help people to build personal brands as representatives of their companies but it's not, it's not my favorite thing to do. My favorite thing to do is to create something, I guess, to create something from, from nothing, to go into someone's head and go, look at all that you've done. Look at all that you've achieved. Look at all that you know. That could be a product. You know, that could be a program. That could be a mastermind. That could be a this. That could be that. And look, you could make this money and people are going, oh, but I make this money in this job. And actually, you're saying I could make more money by doing this and I don't have that stress and I don't have to hire that person and I'm just me. And oh, I want to do that. (laughs) So what would be your tips for somebody that maybe they're not starting from scratch? Maybe they're kind of, they think that they've got their personal brand up and running. Yeah. And they they think that, and their business seems to be sort of got some steam. Mm. What what would you say to them when they kind of go and look at their website or look at how they're showing up on social media? Mm. What are the things you, you'd say to look out for and to, to really kind of drill down into? So I think it's about making sure that your message is extremely clear, who you serve, why you serve them, and, and what it is that you actually do. And trying to get that into like one sentence. And I think those are the exercises that you've been doing in, in the book. It's not easy. I was just with a client before this um, podcast and we were trying to put what she does into a sentence. And she was like, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be when you just told me to do this. And I was like, I know. Um, But make sure that that message is really clear. The the goal is, is that someone can land on your profile and say, either this is the person for me or this isn't. The strongest personal brands, they attract as well as they, as they filter as much as they attract. So I'm not going to be the right personal brand coach for everyone. I only want to work with people that see the world in the same way that I see the world, believe what I believe, because they're who I'm going to be able to help the most, right? We've all had clients where we've gone, isn't really my ideal client. They don't really get it the way that in the way that I get it. Not saying they don't get it at all, but it's just we're not on the same wavelength, right? That's the goal here. So make sure that who you are is coming across strongly enough. Be courageous with it. You know, what do you believe? How do you see the world? What do you care about? What don't you care about? You know, I'm quite vocal with the fact that I kind of semi-hate social media. 
A lot of personal branding specialists or coaches aren't going to say that. They're going to be like, got to love social media. Most of my clients come to me because they actually don't really love social media, but they know they need to learn how to love it. And I teach them how to love it and how to navigate it. But that message has to come across in the way that I communicate, in the way that my website is, the way that things are written. So I think it's about identifying at your most courageous, at your most fearless, who do you serve? What do you do for them? And really, why do you do it? And then make sure that that message is everywhere, on every profile, in your social media headers, on your website, on your business card. When you're doing a podcast, it's coming across because repetition is the only way that anybody's ever going to remember you. I've got clients who have followed me for a year before I've even heard their name. And they've said, oh, Hannah, I've been following you for a year. And I say to them, well, you know, why did it take a year? And they said, I just didn't get it. And then I got it because I read this email you sent, but it took them a year to get it. So just make sure that your message is clear, strong, and it's right. And then it's repeated. And the best way to know if your message is not right is if you don't want to write an email, create any content, put anything on social media, do your website, those are all signs that there's something that's out of alignment. Because when it's aligned and it's truly around you and when you're at your best and your passions, it will flow. And I say this from experience. I've had loads of challenges recently with things not being right or I'm having to redo them and I don't want to do that and I'm procrastinating and putting it off. And then I was meditating and I'm trying to get into meditation. I'm crap at it, but I'm trying to get into it. And it was just coming into my head and I was like, it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. And I realized I looked and I was like, this isn't right. So I basically chucked it all away and started again. So when it's right, you will, it's right. And things will move with ease. And that's what's the, that's the best way um, to identify whether things, yeah, are going in the right direction. So I'm all about uh, visibility and and I'm super super niched into helping people to get onto podcasts. Yes, I know, very niched. I loved it when I when I came across you. I thought brilliant. <laughs> I I in your book you say niche niche and niche again. I, well, I've done that. <laughs> I should get tattooed on myself because that's my main <laughs> quote that everyone remembers. So in a very very crowded, increasingly crowded online space, um, how do you see the future for? the likes of us? You know, this word niche, I actually am so sick of the word niche because I say it so often. The thing is, if you think about where business was, you know, you have your town um, and then you'd have like your accountant and your baker and whatever, and everyone would just go to that person. And then suddenly everything went online and you've got access to everything and everything can be turned into an app and everything can be turned into an online course and everything's available to everyone. And a lot of it's available for free, Right. But then why is the coaching industry booming? Why is the e-learning space booming if everything's free on Google? Because people don't want that much information and they're overwhelmed. They want their problem solved and they want their problem solved in quite a specific way. We have such a hugely risen, um, we have such hugely risen standards of what we want. We want what we want. We want it to be perfect. We want it to arrive tomorrow. In fact, we want it to arrive today. I mean, we're just thinking, Jeff, hurry up. Why isn't it here today? Why have we got to wait till the morning? Um, So, The way I see it going is that we are going to see more and more people building businesses online and the rise of the micro niche. So niching even further than than the niche. Because if you think about it, um, if you were going to go and work with a dating coach, for example, and you could work with a generalized dating coach, or you could work with somebody who has a similar story to you. So when you come on their website, you resonate with their story that focuses in on your niche. Um, You know, for example, 29-year-old single people who 
keep getting their heart broken by idiot guys and always focusing on like business and personal development. So I don't have time to go out on dating and hate being on dating apps. I'm much more likely to work with that person, right, than to go and work with this general coach. And that's where I see things going, the rise of this whole micro niche. We're also quite tired of, well, I believe, and the conversations that I have, of this false influencer world that we've been served over the past sort of five to 10 years. And I think actually we're more interested in following people with sort of less followers, you know, sub 10,000, because they seem more real, they seem more accessible, they seem that they're going to care more. Once somebody's got loads of followers, everything's automated, everything's a course, you don't know who's actually writing the content, you don't know if it's actually them, and everything becomes very distant. And what we want is a real personal relationship with somebody who can actually help us. So I think it's only going to increase that we're going to see this rise of this micro niche, this very specific person that can help a very small section of society, but can really be transformational for the work that they do with them. And so the way I see it going is keep being niche, keep finding your niche. When I first started three years ago in personal branding as my niche, personal branding was enough of a niche. It was niched enough, right? The skill of it was niched enough. Fast forward three years later, I get added by personal branding people on LinkedIn. Every couple of weeks, there's a new one who's adding me um, because they've decided to become a personal branding specialist. I managed to launch um, an academy to teach people how to become personal branding specialists within very, very specific niches. That's where things are going. Competition is rising, but your niche, what you own with your story, with your passions, with your personality, with your approach is the only thing that nobody can clone and nobody can copy and you're not going to get compared with other people for. So the more you lean into that, the more successful you're going to be. But that requires massive courage and bravery and a lot of self-awareness and self-reflection. And that's why I do coaching, right? Because it's not just, well, what's your marketing funnel? What's this? What's that? You know, everyone served all these ads all the time, you know, you know, um, set up your funnel, create this content, $37 for a year's content manual. It doesn't work unless you really know truly deep in your soul what it is that you're wanting to bring to the world. So that's where I see it going, the rise of the micro niche and the rise of a massive movement towards more self-awareness and more self-reflection. Because until we've got that right, what we build is, isn't hasn't got any strength to it. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Hannah. I'd like to ask you, one last thing, which I always ask my guests, and it's with with all of um, your experiences and the challenges that you've been through, I wonder how you define courage. God, that's a fantastic question because courage is like literally like my highest value. Courage to me is doing the thing that you're scared of, of doing and doing it anyway, I think, and doing it every day. And I, I think it's it's a commitment. I think if you're going to be courageous... You have to commit to that in every single act that you take. It doesn't mean you're not scared. I am scared every day. My friends say to me, but Hannah, don't you find it scary? Like you've got all these like staff you have to pay and you go on these things and you talk about rape. Like, isn't that scary? I'm like, of course it can be quite scary. Of course it can. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do it. And I think it's about doing it no matter how much it scares you. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I've written a book on um, being fearless and, yeah. and, and that's all about taking the fear and, mm. and doing it anyway. Thank you, Hannah, for inspiring us to create a movement with our message by stepping into our light and leading our tribe. Thanks so much. Thank it's you. been brilliant. I've absolutely loved this conversation and everything that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much, Hannah, for showing us how to be powerful leaders, adapting, learning and leveling ourselves up so we can contribute to a better, more positive world. You can find out more about Hannah's work on www.hannahpower.co.uk and engage with her on LinkedIn at Hannah Power. Thanks to Silk Studios for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And thanks to you all for listening. Take care, choose courage and see you next week.